Hello everyone, welcome to the Ask Interview series. My name is Shane Mack and I am so excited for who I have in the studio today. I have the CEO of the new sports media company called The Relish. Her name is Ashley Wellington. We've actually known each other for almost 10 years. Watching her from Seattle to now, raising her first funding round, building a company. We talk about everything from where she grew up, her obsession with sports, feminism in the world, and really how much diversity matters and how to believe in yourself. I hope you enjoy this. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. So good to see you. Yeah, you as well. Tell me, where are you from? I'm from the Seattle area, Edmonds, Washington. It's like... North of Seattle, right? Yeah, like 15 miles north. I always say it's like the Sausalito of San Francisco or of <laughs> Seattle. Right. Yeah. I have a clear vision of what it looks like. Yeah. It's like a little uh, fairy town on the water. I actually think my brother has a sailboat in the Edmonds Marina. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah I grew up going there. Yeah? Yeah. Every uh, weekend, my my dad's side of the family would like take the boat, my grandpa's boat over to Kingston and we'd like put crab pots in the water and then go out to the beach and go clam digging and make a whole weekend out of it yeah isn't there, there's a navy ship right at the end of the marina that sits there all the time is that right uh, Edmonds? i don't think i think that's maybe muckleteo or maybe that's down south i don't, I don't think that's Edmonds. oh maybe i'm wrong no. or maybe maybe there is one now and i just haven't Who been knows? back in a while and did you grow up boating your whole life yeah like was my sailing dad. no 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 uh my best friend katie is a sailor and she calls motorboat stink pots so i guess i'm a stink <laughs> why motor. what does that mean a stink pot like i don't know there are boats that have motors that stink up the ocean i guess oh so she's saying sailing is the only way because we're polluting i guess got it i've never really asked or for a deep dive on why it's called a stink pot i just assume that's why got it yeah and so you grew up in seattle and you're a mariners seahawks diehard fan diehard and like, formally what does Sonics die hard mean to you as a rip. sports fan i mean that's a great like, did question did you paint your face i i don't think i've ever actually painted my face so for me like as a kid i i so i'll tell you the story about how i even became a sports fan i think it's right. kind of a good story it's a great story so my parents are going through a divorce when i was like mm, between the ages of like eight and ten and around ten was when they like it became finalized and at the so hold on, two years of like off and on, you're old enough to know what's going on, but you don't really. Yeah. So they were like separated for two years and then they got divorced when I was 10. And at this, right at this time, the Mariners who were horrible forever, uh, finally started getting good and they had a shot at actually going to the playoffs and it like brought the whole city of Seattle alive. It was 1995. And if anybody's listening to this, that's a uh, Seattle fan. They will be like probably getting chills. Actually, there's a Macklemore song called My Oh My that goes into the whole, we could listen to it if you want, uh, that talks about this season. Anyways, 1995 Mariners. Yes. The best year ever. So uh, This is like the Bulls back when I was a Bulls fan. Oh. Like the Jordan. Yes, era. it was. Same like time. Exactly. Yeah. Um not great for the Sonics in that case. But anyway, so the Mariners, like the whole town's coming alive and I'm just watching all this energy of like people becoming obsessed with the Mariners. And we had these teal refuse to lose signs all over. And I was just like, everybody was obsessed with it. And I sort of jumped on the bandwagon. And 
there was this game in September. I think it was, I want to say September 23rd. I think it was the 20th. I don't know. Maybe the date's wrong. But anyway, September 1995, the Mariners were playing the Angels to go on to the playoffs. It was like a wild card game. And my mom showed up to school one day while I was in the middle of class and she pulls me out of school and she pulls out two tickets to this game and she's like, we're going to the game. And like, you know, I'm like super distracted at this time. Like my parents are going through a divorce. It's a hard time, but I'm excited about the marriage. So she pulls me out of school. I would go down to the kingdom, which is also no longer around. Uh, And I like, this is my first baseball game. So my first baseball game is like, this amazing experience of like the whole everybody around Seattle coming to coming together to watch this game sure enough the Mariners win that day and they go on to the playoffs and like the whole stadium erupted everybody like bum rushed the field it was amazing I remember my my dad was actually at the game too and I remember hearing that he had like eaten dirt off of second base and I thought that was so awesome so (laughs) I became an obsessed fan from that day on like and is the stadium, is it the players, is it your, is it the, the camaraderie of like the events that like people are just, you're like all of us together, this like roar. I mean, at, yeah, I think at the time it was just the energy around that was going on around me and, and watching people uh, gravitate towards something collectively. But I also got really into just the game. Like I thought the game was really fun and it was exciting. So I started. I actually think baseball is so boring. I mean. To be honest with you, like the older I get, the less I have the attention span for. I blame social media for all of these things. But yeah, I mean, all I spent time doing in my life was playing baseball. And now I'm just Um, like, I can't stand baseball. But you know what? Baseball is actually a really smart sport. Yeah. It's like the chess of sports. There's just, if you have to pay attention to everything going on around, around the field, like every single position is paying, like everybody has a role to play. Um, you know, dep- and you have to know things about the players going in, like the, their stats, how they bat, how, you know, how the, can the person in right field, you know, affect somebody who's up to bat. I mean, if you're paying attention, everybody's always moving around the field. You know, this and is like a chess, this is interesting though. So like, cause it, the chess, do I not analogy, make me go down the chess path no, too, for too long. Cause okay. I'm not very good at chess, but just an interesting thing to think about. Cause in other sports, the same team plays every time, right? So in football or basketball, it's usually the same starting line and they're just playing the other team. But in baseball, you're almost like picking who's going to be the king this game. And there are like hierarchies of roles. Like the pitcher is, you know, way more important than some other role because they have every single time. Yeah. And so there is like a king and a queen. And then you have a bunch of like the front line of people that like just have to be there to pick up the ball if it comes to them. Totally. But, uh, and then you have the killer hitter. Yeah. the order you're right I mean I was always I using that analogy like, just from like the standpoint of there's a lot of thinking that has to go on inside of baseball and it's not just like oh this guy's just like throwing the ball yeah. around and um but no you're right I never really thought to actually because there are individuals that have more power right where yeah. in football to complete a play yeah most of the time you need more than yourself right and you don't get to pick uh like the this pitcher and now I'm going to do a left-handed batter because it's a left-handed pitcher and not like yeah or however that works or whatever well, I don't know I've never yeah. thought about it like that I know it's interesting. but it's I mean if you really want to get down into like how do you make it less boring if you feel like it's boring that's in my opinion how you can start to think about it huh. differently um like a shot clock 
Yeah, kind of. Shot clock for pitchers. Let's use some aluminum bats. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> baseball, MLB is, they're always, I, they're in the position of having to try to think about, like, how do you make the game a little bit more fast paced? Like, yeah. how do we keep up with attention spans? And especially as the younger generation comes in, uh, they, they have a lot of work to do in keeping their attention on baseball. Let's go into this a little more. Uh, I'm really interested about this. Okay. One is... There's so many games, right? Yeah. Baseball is like 140. How many is it a lot? It's 162. 162 games. Yeah. So it's half the year, right? And I, I actually was really interested in this as a brand. The MLB is so much harder as a brand than like the NFL. In what and way? The NFL, I feel like I people like fantasy helped us a lot. People love watching football. They don't just love watching their team. And I feel like with MLB, mm. it's so regionalized yeah. that like you either love the Cubs, but I never go watch like the Dodgers just right. for fun. Yeah. But in football, maybe it's because there's way less games or it's way easier to watch on TV because it's only like, you know, a few plays actually a game. Well, it's uh, all about the entertainment like, But the MLB value. feels like it's on a, on a national level of like, I love baseball. Yeah. It's really, I love the Cubs. Where the NFL is like, I love football and the Bears are my team. That's true. Is that true? No, I like, think that's absolutely true. I think I think that's definitely true. I think there are teams inside of baseball and you, you see this happen like, you know, you look at playoffs every year and where are the ratings at and there's been a lot of uh, conversation about like, well, when it's been West Coast teams, like the East Coast doesn't pay attention as much and I think there's, there's a lot that goes into this kind of stuff but uh, part of it is just like the entertainment value. Like they don't, God, they're so distracting. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm Instagram live right now while you're talking. Yeah, Keep going. Keep you're going. gonna have to edit this out. This is, this, no, 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 we're not editing out. This is Ashley in the studio today. Hi. Um, I lost my train of thought. Anyways, uh, oh, like you've got the Yankees, you've got the Red Sox, you do have the Cubs, and these teams have huge followings. But they're they're marquee teams that have been in those markets since day one. Like part of the, one of the problems I think is when you move markets too often, that creates. Uh, that creates a disruption that's not really healthy f for the brand of the team. Yeah. And then um, I also just think, again, back to like entertainment value, the NFL has done a really, really good job of making this about the entertainment aspect of the game. Uh, and I think the MLB has done that really well and NBA is starting to do that really well too. And I think NHL is starting to follow suit. But um, I think that's where the, the missed opportunity has been. Um but that also means that there's a lot of opportunity inside of there to create more of that. But you're, to your point, like that's, it is a lot of games. And now they're like, I mean, look at, we're going to walk into the summer and it's, we're going to have baseball, hockey. I mean, I guess all these things are happening all the same. It was like hockey, baseball, basketball, yeah. all this stuff. And then at some point that ends up happening again in the fall. It's like too much stuff to keep up with. What happened to the Sonics? Oh my god! They're, this is still such a wound. Like it's not <laughs> even fully. Healed. I don't even know why. I'm in the Midwest. I'm in Illinois. Sean, is it Sean Kemp? Well, yeah, he, Sean Kemp. I was like was a Sean Kemp fan, yeah. and I don't even know why. <laughs> and he's a Sonics player, number forty, right? Yes, I think he was forty. It's weird. I don't it's even. It's been know a long time, man. What happened to them? They're in Seattle, and then they just no one likes basketball in Seattle. No, everyone liked basketball in Seattle. That was <laughs> well, just a business issue. I mean, it's all business, and that I mean. Explain it. You were talking about regionalized sports team and like teams changing markets. So it just made me think of like why the Sonics changed. Yeah. And that one was interesting because Oklahoma City has wrapped 
the form or something, you know, the Thunder, are, like they've brought them in with open arms. So uh, that was, that from a business standpoint, that wasn't a bad business move necessarily because the Oklahoma City market was absolutely like wanting them. What was the business? What was the decision? Like it, it's the smallest stadium in the NBA, right? Key Arena? Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the, was it a build a new arena? We don't want the money. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what anytime you have a business owner in a position of wanting to turn more revenue, they will usually go towards the stadium, right? Like stadiums are considered a really great you know, revenue driver, right? Like think about all of the opportunities that exist inside of a stadium from the concessions to the suites to the tickets to like everything all the retail components so if you don't have like these days when we go back to the entertainment value of sports if your stadium doesn't have a great experience inside of it well you, like when your team sucks what else is going to draw people in right you have to have some sort of additional entertainment value there's actually a lifespan of like when a new stadium opens i think it's like 10 years before it starts to wean and people don't think about it as like unless a destination. they're still winning Unless the team is doing really well, um, which was kind of interesting because the Sonics actually had a lot of up and comers like Kevin Durant and all these guys were, yeah. you know, it was, it, they had, and we saw that, we saw that with the Thunder, right? They yeah. ended up being totally kick-ass. So uh, anyways, it was really just a business move. It was like so, Howard Schultz wanted in the, the team Howard around Schultz, them. Howard Schultz, CEO of Starbucks, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that was like, talk about a lot mm. of contention around the Seattle market. Um, Have you thought about how impactful are sports teams to local economies uh, I mean do you, is it, there like data around this is do you know about this I don't have the data around it but just from I mean I think that they can have a ton of impact if they're successful I mean but, I watched it in San Francisco right I moved here seven years ago yeah and I watched the Giants win three times yep. the Warriors yeah even in the finals I don't think the 49ers have been anything. Maybe like well, five years they, ago. No, they were in the playoffs. But uh, the city is like electric. Ago? Like, yeah. it's fascinating oh, yeah. for me to be here at this time. And totally. Like, everywhere. Every bar is full. Every, yeah. like, and I'm just wondering, like, I was just curious, like, if, are, can you tell the livelihood and the, like, state of a city based on its sports? Oh, you absolutely can. I mean, I don't have the data on how does it affect local business, but I think you could probably make an assumption that it affects it in a very positive way, especially... You find that data. No, no, you're right. I don't, well, trust me, guys, my wheels are spinning as we're talking about this. But, uh, the, I mean, you can just look around what's happening, especially around stadiums and, um, and bars and that kind of thing. But, like, I go to Seattle. I'll just keep going back to Seattle because it's in my heart um you know you go up there now you see what's happening with the seahawks like you cannot walk five feet without seeing somebody wearing a 12th man something or a seahawk something usually it's something to do with the 12 like my my boyfriend eric is not a sports fan he's learning about sports through me (laughs) in our relationship but every time we go to seattle he's like this like the sea this is he's like this is like creepy how much seahawk stuff there is everywhere everywhere you go it's like plastered everywhere so and that's a byproduct of the team doing really well. Like people didn't do that before. People didn't wear. When Seahawks did it turn around? Turn around when they went to the, they won the Super Bowl, or you know, like we're in a position to go to the Super and Bowl. And what was the catalyst to that? Like, what decisions led up to them winning the Super Bowl? Was it a new coach? Was it a new? Oh, Pete Carroll was a huge was instrumental it. part of that. Yeah, Pete Carroll came in. He, you know, he brought uh, 
a new way of thinking as a coach. He brought in, you know, certain kind of players. He brought a lot of camaraderie into the team, I think. I mean, the the kind of players that they brought on board were were awesome. And, and they, you know, I have everything I hear about Pete Carroll just as a coach is like, he's an amazing guy and people love to play for him but he's also no bullshit like he's he's the definition of a good leader like he he will take care of you and support you and love you but if you aren't performing or you're not getting the job done or you're like a cancer to your team and you can't turn that around then you're out um and I think that that's what's been helped them be such a successful team awesome so take me back you were 10 years old I fell in love with baseball yes and then (laughs) You're getting to be a seventh grader, sixth grader in grade school. Yep. And then you go to high school, whatever. What kind of student were you? What are you? What are- <laughs> I uh, I was an inconsistent student. What does that mean? Like I could be the smartest kid in the class when I was motivated to be, and I could, <laughs> if I had too much going on in my life, I was incredibly distracted. Like. Literally, I, I had, there were years where I had the best grade in a class, and then there was another year where I was, like, at the bottom of the barrel. Like, it just depended. <laughs> I had a lot, like, I had a, a lot of stuff going on when I was a kid, so I, I had, like, probably way too much on my plate as a, as a young person, um, which was a little distracting at times, but, I mean, that was... What do you mean by that? I mean, I... Just family things, you yeah. know. My my I, my mom had me, and she's super young. So she and she was a single mother by the time I was in high school. So, you know, my brother and I were doing a lot for ourselves and yeah. had a lot of responsibility. Um, but I also like, I had a lot of responsibility from a very young age. Like I was I was taking care of myself and my brother and helping my mom out a lot. Uh, f- like literally as soon as as my parents divorced. So that. Did you live with your mom and your dad? I lived with my mom and then eventually moved in with my dad like later into high school. But I, um, I actually like went to work pretty young. Like I went to work. What was uh, your first job? I was, <laughs> there's a hair salon in Seattle called Jean Juarez Salon and Spa. Huh. And my first job was literally to clean the salon. Like I cleaning up people's <laughs> hair off the floor yeah. and like disper- dispensing um, hair product. But I loved it because I got free hair stuff and like free haircuts and free hair color at every hair color <laughs> you think of back then um so I think there's always been this thing instilled in me to kind of work hard and and take care of yourself and support yourself and that so I was like going to school playing sports and I was working what sports did you play volleyball and softball nice yeah do I you was, still play I like playing volleyball I don't play softball. I was horrible at softball. I literally only played softball because I loved baseball so much, but (laughs) I had no business. I was like the, basically the cheerleader on the bench for everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) So then take me to where, you know, you kind of get out of that. You go to, did you go to college? Yeah. I went to Linfield college. Nice. And you studied. (laughs) I studied elementary education and I'll go backwards a little bit. So, during this obsession of loving baseball and eventually football, I started telling people that I wanted to be the Katie Kirk of the Mariners. Like Hmm. I was also super, I love to write. That was like, it's always been very cathartic for me to, to be, to write like ever since I was probably 12 or so. And I got really into journalism and I would watch Katie Kirk on the today show. And I love, you know, I just thought she was great. So I would tell people I want to be the Katie Kirk of the Mariners and they'd like, think that was cute 
And then they would just tell me. How old me, were you? I was probably like 11, 12, 13 wow. in that range. And they would, the message they would tell me was that isn't like, that's not a job that either exists or a job that there's a lot, a lot of opportunity. Like it's all about who you know or, you know, it was never like, huh. you should go do that. You should pursue that. Like let's, you know, this is the path to doing that. Go to sports journalism school or something. Like no, the message instead that I was being told was that that was just too hard to get into. Huh. Um, and I should find a job like. Who was telling you this? Like who uh, were the people that. I mean, this is how I grew feel up. Bad. I feel I bad grew, calling them out. No, no, no. But. I don't. I think it's a, it's not a problem. It's people actually, they, they're like trying to protect you, right? No, they absolutely were. They were, they were like, we want to make sure that she has like a job oh. and, but it was, I don't think they meant to be so gender stereo, like gender stereotyping me so much. Cause the things that they were saying were like, well, you could go be a teacher or a nurse. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And it makes sense, right? Like I mean, I, maybe those were gender, but I think like the, the TV host, the, musician i mean my yeah. dad was like do not be a musician that is yeah. not a career yeah and i was like i'm gonna go play weddings and make more money than i do making this stupid job <laughs> <laughs> and it's like spite drove all decisions oh totally so, um so anyways i i ended up going to school to become a teacher I, the reason i went to linfield because i had a great education program while i was there they had this elective course it was like the first time they they ever introduced it. it was called the uh history of baseball and it, it was like the coolest class ever we did ever we learned about baseball the economics of baseball the business side like and our our final project was to uh build a baseball team an M mlb team in a market that doesn't have the mlb hmm. from the ground up so what's the key to the market you I mean you have to well you mean the key to like picking a market yeah is it is it like what makes it this is like the economics piece of like yeah is it size is it how many other teams exist exactly like, so you are looking at things like what's the market size just in terms of people there you want to find comparable markets that already exist and find like replica replicable replicable models got it. <laughs> um uh that you can sort of say like okay if this market is sort of mirrored to that market that makes a lot of sense um, what is the growth looking like for that market? So, I mean, we actually chose Las Vegas at the time. It was like 2007, I want to say. And at the time, this was before the recession hit, Vegas was like the booming market in the United States. So hmm. it was like the fastest growing market and people were flooding to Vegas and um, it looked like it was going to be like the future like, I don't know, something, Portland or something. <laughs> Maybe that's not a good example. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, anyways, so we we were looking at that data. I called the mayor's office. I talked to the mayor. Like, we went, we went like, super deep on all of this information. And, and it's been 10 years now, so I don't remember all of it. But um, it just, there, there was a, a lot of things made sense. But one of the issues that exists when you, like, want to build a new team um, is stadium like does it is it publicly funded is it privately funded and um that was always that's been an issue for a long time and we're watching this happen with this is a huge of, thing I mean, it's a huge deal i mean the, what because cities are getting are fronting the bills mostly right most of the time yeah, yeah. and it's not like and the nfl has just been raking in the cash all of the mark all of the leagues Got i it. mean this isn't just an nfl thing huh. this is nba and how does it actually MLB? work the real thing it's that the city's taxpayer dollars fund the stadium yeah. and then the NFL for years. claims are like like 
you know, we're bringing a lot of economic value. Yeah, and they, I mean, there, there, they there could be, tr- there yeah. could be truth to that. But again, there's a lot of like the team needs to be good too, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, you're gonna sell out a, a really nice fancy stadium, uh, for a little bit. But the other side of it is like there was a period of time there weren't new stadiums popping up all the time, but now we're seeing this more and more. And it's like the more technology continues to advance and things become super innovative, it's like a stadium that was cool a year ago isn't even, it, it like has a lot of pressure to continue to stay super innovative like the kings just they just opened up a new stadium yeah, this year like the most innovative stadium yeah ever. but then dallas just had you know a bunch of chain stuff and like nobody really talks about that stadium except for <laughs> maybe in dallas like it's hard to, to keep that momentum going these days because every time a new stadium opens like the next wave of big innovative stuff is happening Whereas in like 19, I guess it was 1999, the, the Mariners opened Safeco and like Safeco was super cool for a long time. And then the Giants opened their stadium. And it was super cool for a long time. But now like the, you go into the stadiums and they're still really beautiful, but the technology isn't quite as on par with like what the Kings are doing or Dallas or some of these other new stadiums. So um, anyways, back to that, pro, that uh, program. So that project um anyways we had to like build this stadium it was awesome we i remember we were called uh we had it funded by steve Wynn. he was <laughs> our, our uh, financial backer for the stadium and we called it winfield which i don't know if you guys caught it but i went to linfield so it was like <laughs> clever uh we were the las vegas aces like i don't know it was awesome we did not win indianapolis won, but i actually was just talking to that professor recently because Vegas just got an NHL team and now there's all this talk about Oakland teams moving to hmm. Vegas. So I'm like, hmm, I haven't seen any teams go to Indianapolis, so maybe we should have uh, got the... Hockey in the middle of the desert is such a funny idea. It is very weird. <laughs> um, so after that class, I was like, shit, I really fucked up. Like, I should not have become a teacher. I... Hmm. All this I one wanted, class was you were like this one class. Yeah. I, 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 I regretted everything. I was like, what have I done? Like, I love kids. What I year le- were you? It was my senior year. I was getting ready to graduate. It was like bad time to figure out. So what did you do? Well, this is where serendipity comes in. And I'm such a believer in like things sort of line up kind of the way they're supposed to. If you're yeah. putting yourself on the right path. Um, a friend of mine reached out and he was like, Hey, he knew I was a diehard Mariners fan. Um, he's like, I have a friend who is hiring for this entry-level coordinator position with the Mariners radio broadcast. He's like, here's the the job description. Of course, I like typical, like now looking back, I'm like, oh, like if I could just be like, go back to my younger self and not <laughs> think this way. But I was like looking at the job description. I'm like, oh, I haven't had this experience and that. And it actually was my mom who was like, you need to look at these th- these things listed on the job description and think about how the things you've done as a teacher, because I had done like, uh, uh, I taught like first graders as part of my exit out of my degree. Um, she's like, think about how the things you've done as a teacher apply to this job. And when I did, like when, you know, I thought of it from that perspective, I was like, okay, perfect. So I end up, I interview with the job. I don't get it. They're like, they're like, you know, we lo- we think you're great, but we're going to take this girl who has a background, uh, just got out of school for sports management. And I was like, oh, darn it. Oh, sorry. I'm not supposed to hit the table. Um, <laughs> anyways, so I was disappointed. But I I was like, you know what? I'm going to go teach. I taught preschool. Um, 
for a year but I did not give up on that like dream to go work for them so I just I just stayed in touch with people I like emailed them I was like I still would love an opportunity if, if one pops up this girl that I interviewed with she left went to a different radio station um long story short I ended up meeting her boss at this new radio station uh they had an entry-level position not for like the Mariners or or anything like that but it was just this other radio station in the market but the parent company of this radio station um had they had a news talk station within the parent company and the news talk station had the broadcast rights to the Seahawks so I was like okay there's a sports like connection to this company (laughs) I'm just gonna get in like do whatever work I have to do to like prove myself and I'm gonna figure out a way to get a job in sports through the other station so when I interviewed like you know maybe it was naive but I was very honest I was like I'm his name is Dave Pridemore I I like interviewed with Dave and he's like so what do you want to do with your career and I was like Dave I want to work in sports I was like I I interviewed for this job with with Como I didn't get it but I really want to Como is the new station that had the broadcast rights to the Mariners originally so I was like I want I want this job and he's like okay great like that's awesome so I I get the job for this it was an oldie station at the time I can't remember how long I've been working there. I want to say like two months and one day um that we have this big all hands meeting and they tell us that the news talk station is uh um Cairo is was going to be the new rights holder for the Mariners broadcast so Como the place that I didn't get a job at they lost the rights to the Mariners broadcast and and Cairo ended up getting them and I was like oh my god and Dave was like if he's like so we will be building a staff for the Mariners broadcast if anybody's interested please come and talk to me of course (laughs) I was like ah I've I've been there like two months like I I was still learning um but I went into his office I was like Dave I told you that I wanted to work for sports and specifically the Mariners like I want a job I don't care I I don't care what I have to do I'll learn whatever I have to do but I really want to work for for this team he was like all right let's talk you know let's keep the conversation open anyways I continue to pursue it and he finally brings me in one day and he's like listen Ashley I I knew about us getting the rights when you were interviewing and I've always kind of had you in mind for this job so you will be uh coming on as our Mariners radio coordinator and I was like what like what the so I mean it was like the most surreal thing right like talk about do you still talk to Dave um occasionally when I'm in Seattle like I I just reached out to them to him when I launched the relish and I was like there's so many amazing lessons in this though like one not taking no for an answer yeah two going in the back door yeah like actually planning like I'm gonna end up with the Mariners however I get there yeah and then but what? not in like a shade like some people will take a backdoor like in a shady way yeah. and there was it wasn't that it was just persistence like yeah. I believe I remember I was also nannying at the time and honesty yeah like people undervalue like people are afraid honesty to say is so important people, like there. radical honesty is actually yeah. like the key to sales yeah. but people think it's like selling things yes and like actually the way to win is to sell what you don't know or to be so honest with the things that like you know, you called it like, I don't actually want to work here. I want to work there. Yeah. <laughs> but that, like, that connection, <laughs> no, it, it told, that's how it works. Yeah. Right. Like people go in selling AI and artificial intelligence and we go in selling like everything we don't know. Yeah. 
And there's a lot of studies on this now. Adam Grant wrote a book called The Originals. Hmm. And a lot of it is about if you're very radically honest, people didn't trust you. And then when they trust you, they're able to now believe what you say next. Yeah. And so there's a story of this person who went in and pitched a VC firm. And it's actually the way I've always done it. Like yeah. I was with Robert at this meeting. He's like, this is what you do. <laughs> and like I would, you walk in and you're like, I'm going to tell you everything that's wrong. And then what happens is two things. One is they do trust you because yeah. everyone else is selling them smoke. And two is you end the meeting on a high because you're not ending the meeting where they're digging into all the questions where you know you, that they're going to ask and you don't have the answers. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely true. I, I can be honest to a fault, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I know of some people who have done some investing, um, I'm sorry, uh, some fundraising, and I've learned about the thing, the dishonest things that they say to, to close the deal. And it's mm. like, literally, I'm like, oh, this is pretty much fraud. Like, this is <laughs> so, like, these people are investing in something they, that like, if you actually dug deeper or, or discovered a few things, like, it's complete bullshit. And like with when we've been raising the relish, like we have been really honest with people about where we're at, where we're headed, yeah. where we think our struggles will be, where we think we're going to be able to absolutely execute and do great shit. And like, I, I, I like am pitching this to people that I'm meeting for the first time or just establishing a relationship with. But like, I do think that that honesty and that realness um, can be felt. And yeah. I mean, these are these are relationships that are going to carry with you for a long time. And if you ever want to raise money again, like I would hope that you are thinking about these kinds of things because like the world is so eventually small. Yeah, the world is small and eventually those things all come back to you like totally. that you can get yourself through one round by lying or making shit up or using yep. people. But eventually those things all come back around to bite you. In the so ass. now we got the first it's your first time being a CEO. And you're, <laughs> you're here and you have the relish. It's yeah. a sports media company for female fans. Yep. Correct. Yeah. So, and you've just raised money from some of the big best investors in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Now don't lose it all. I, we're not, we're, we are, uh, I call it, I, we, we go by the motto, we're classy, but scrappy. Love it. Like we, take me back, take me back to the beginning. I obviously, it's almost like, do you, do you feel like you found your life's work? Yes. I was getting so bored in my career. I was like, and you, we've talked about this. We've talked about this since like way before either of us ever moved to San Francisco. Like, cause Shane and I have been friends since Seattle days. Like we've known each other. A long 2008. Time. Yeah. Right. yeah. We were babies. Um, but anyways, I, I've always kind of said like, always been like, this sounds so trite and cliche, but like a, a idea person, right? Like I'm always like, what about this? And like literally at one point I wanted to open a dog park bar and genius i it's i still would like whoever's to listening right now let me I know. know you, you guys know will invest seriously <laughs> let me know i don't have any money to invest because i put it on the rush but i will <laughs> i will support your bar you have the plans henry and i will be there um anyways but like you know i could like see an i could see an empty parking lot and be like that's perfect like you know it's not <laughs> yeah, my brain your gardens are genius but they're like no infrastructure people love to be outside yeah. and dogs are awesome totally and heat lamps and like those string lights and people are ha okay, really so take me to the get it yourself to the relish so i uh i forgot what was the last thing you were saying you're always the idea person oh yeah so oh so i'm like i knew i wanted to start my own company at some point but that's like that's what i would say i was like i want to start my own company i don't know what it is yet maybe it's a dog park bar um, and then literally <laughs> I was taking a shower one day and it's always in the shower. It's, 
I have a lot of good ideas in here. <laughs> um, I remember Eric, I've mentioned Eric, my boyfriend, he, he had heard this idea that like, if you're looking for that, that thing, whatever that thing is, just write it, keep writing stuff down, like write ideas down, write out just a long list of stuff. And when you get to a point where something sparks emotion in you, whether it's like you're so giddy you can't stand it or you cry or whatever, that's when you've got your idea. And that is what happened to me in the shower. Like this idea for the relish popped into my head, um, which I actually, when looking back, like I actually had the idea six years prior, but wasn't thinking that I would do the company. Yeah. Uh, it actually presented it to Brian Sugar of Pop Sugar, interestingly enough. Uh but I'm in the shower and I'm like, oh my God, this is the idea. Like, this is the thing. And I'd started crying and I was like, I think he's right. Like, I think he's <laughs> on to something. So anyway, I just was like, not to sound so emo, but like when I thought about like the, how big and important something like this could be and like what it could mean for a huge group of misrepresented people, that's when I kind of started to cry a little. I was like, oh man, like, and no one's doing this. Like this needs to happen. Break down that emotion. And you're saying misrepresent like female fans that love sports, men and women's sports, doesn't matter. Female fans who have no voice. who love, like, or are interested in in knowing more about sports. Like the problem right now in the market is that people look at a female fan and the industry looks at a female fan and they just try to put them into one bucket, the female fan bucket, right? Mm. But you can't, that's not, that's not representative of a female fan. A female fan has a lot more complexity than that. Like I am different than another kind of female fan, right? So there's, there's different layers to female fans. And so far the industry is mostly just gender stereotyped a female fan or, you know, it's this, like this pink it and shrink it marketing strategy or just hat, like we have all these masculine sites that just sort of have like an offshoot brand for a female fan and it, it never really works um and what we're seeing in media with all of these like niche female uh women's lifestyle media companies kind of popping up look at what like Brit and Co has done and Refinery29 and the skim is awesome like these amazing female driven media companies who are doing mm. awesome things who are empowering women who are giving women a platform to like use their voice and and be uh, allow themselves to ex to be expressed in all the different ways women like to express themselves, but nobody was doing that for female fans. So we that's that's the market opportunity we're grabbing a hold of. That's amazing. And when you think about and you you females probably hold the spending power. Uh, seventy to eighty percent of sports spending <laughs> comes from women, not men. That's crazy. It, it's almost sad to me. Like I think about all of the ESPN shows, and when I see like the NFL, and it's like it's like six huge guys talking about all those things. And when they throw a female in there, it's like just one. It's, it's one. And it's like the stereotypical, like pretty girl. Right. Which yeah. is nothing wrong with that, but like, it's not representative. You know, they're like, Oh, let's just check that bucket. It's mm. not representative of yeah. the diverse amount of like women that exist inside of the female fan base. And that's something that's really important to us too. Like, you know, it's not, you're not just going to see the, the, the token white girl, right? Yeah. Or the token pretty, pretty girl. We're going to show the full range of female fans and, and who we are and what we represent. And if you think of yourself, do you, th do you think of yourself as like a new media company? 
Yeah. And in that vein, you have like the Cheddars doing online video on Twitter or, um, you know, it's crazy to me. Like when you said, I want to be the Katie Couric of the Mariners, like you can right now yeah. like you're doing like this is essentially it like yeah. new distribution platforms new live video new content mediums like there is no gate except you're willing to do it yeah but people will be like no until you are the katie Couric of the mariners and then you'll be like now you're gonna be the katie Couric of the sports yeah well, do you feel like it's that do you feel I that mean, is the mission behind you i don't think that i at this point am so I'm not. But you can enable that. You I'm can not be the person in that, being the talent at yeah. this point. Like I'm interested in being the the, the leader of the company that allows the the woman who today is saying I want to be the Katie Curry That's or so wh- cool. whoever, right? Like, like of every sports, you're the enabler to say no. You can be the Katie Curry. Yeah, I mean, we have women get a mic and a great camera and totally like, be interesting. You you can't imagine huh. the amount of women coming to us like wanting an opportunity because inside of the sports world, there's opportunities, but you you have to conform to to something else or, or, you know, like I always, I say oftentimes one of the things we see happen a lot is women who want to get into the world of sports, they end up kind of having to emulate a man, which is just, and they have to work 10 times harder to like the, the ceiling for a woman in sports is like absurd. It's just absurd. I mean, and this is a big part of our, our mission at the relish is to give women that who work in sports a voice as well and a, an ability to to be seen and to be heard and and to have additional opportunities and to you know break those ceilings because there's some yeah i mean we know this is a problem across many industries and verticals but um i mean it feels so relevant in today's climate it totally is it's almost motivating it's so motivating yeah. i mean like i find just giving a shit about diversity into what's happening in the world today. Yeah. Just almost like I, f- I'm like very optimistically driven right now in a weird way of just yeah. like, fuck it. I have a little company that I can like try my hardest to care about what I think is yeah. right. I mean, we're so lucky to, you and I are so privileged to be here, right? Like <laughs> for sure. this is to be in San Francisco. I mean, me, me way war. I'm a white dude. Yeah. And like a white woman is right like right in line right like we're yeah, we're very think, lucky to be able to be in the position we are to yeah. do these kinds of things and like that is something neither one of us should ever ever take for granted because for sure. i mean but it you also need people who have that kind of like if you have the privilege do something positive with it right like turn that into an opportunity to give other people who are marginalized or don't have the same privilege or same access an ability to acquire that Cool. Take me back a little bit. So you're just starting this. Yeah. First first time through with the raising money, doing yeah. some venture, uh, a female sitting down in VC, <laughs> like all these things. And like, where is the company now? Like, you know, what are you, what are you like thinking about day to day? What are you insecure about? What are you like, you know, how are you feeling right now? I mean, I feel so many things I feel overwhelmed <laughs> yeah. uh but also to you said the word motivated I have never felt more motivated ever um there's a little bit of surrealness still like when that when the check our first uh check hit the bank and I saw it saw it went from literally zero dollars because I was I was funneling everything for the relish like out of my own bank account so when the company bank account had money in it I was like what like <laughs> holy shit there's money in there we can get an office fundraising so weird like i'm not really a person <laughs> driven by money that much and so i don't like 
Like, I don't even really look at our bank. Like, our CFO is like, here's where we're at. And we, like, think about oh, it. Oh, well, you can but afford a CFO. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's a contract. <laughs> but I remember, like, w- just hitting refresh on, like, wires are so weird. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I oh mean, God. it was, like, one. And then once you get it, you're like, fuck, no, no, lose it. Like, I don't want to. Like, then, like, yeah. stress changes oh, to a different so, stress. I, I mean, I'm such a, I'm, like, the creep that's, like, looking at the bank account every day. And I'm, like, I'm, like, go- like Google searching what the little description is if I can't tell what it is I'm like oh oh, yeah yeah okay it was the that thing that we had to buy um no it's very surreal it's totally surreal I I'm so grateful to have gotten this far you know like did I I think this round is one of the harder if not the hardest probably to to raise this very early round or at least that's what people tell me (laughs) um it's definitely I mean this is a crazy climate to try to raise into anybody explain how was it how long did it take? It took, a, I mean, for the point, from the point we got really serious, it's been somewhere between like nine and 10 months. Wow. And we, there was a pause in between. We kind of took a break and just focused on, on growing a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it took a long time. And part of it too, like it's media. Media is not a something, like an investor hears the word media and we hear more often than not, like, I don't do media. And then they hear the idea and they're like, well, tell me more about that. That's interesting. <laughs> but part of the reason is it's like media can be, you know, pretty high risk and it doesn't, it's not typically a billion dollar return, right? Like we're not, le- the likelihood of us being the next Snapchat is not necessarily real. So I think people hear those words and they're like, ah, I don't know, media. But then they hear like, oh, wait, they've unearthed a huge market that isn't, no one's really yep. doing anything with. I mean, and if that's, you think that's of, when we get people to really listen. If you think about it as like one new media platforms, two, can you be the largest sports media company in the world? And three, have the most engaged fans. Right. Um, I mean, you, and, engagement's huge. Yeah. These vanity metrics of like users and all that, I mean, certainly you want a high volume of users because yeah. there's a lot that can be done there. But when you're, if you're in the very beginning, if content is the thing you're, you're, attributing your monetization towards which at least phase one for us is that um you your audience means nothing if they're not engaged and we're really lucky to have a highly highly engaged audience even while we're relatively small comparatively um and I think that's for me that's the thing that makes me feel really confident about what we're doing it's like that's what we want to see and that's part of our goal is to empower more of that kind of engagement um what does relatively small mean? Meaning we don't have like ESPN numbers or Bleacher Report numbers, but we're def- big enough. We're growing. Share, I mean, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We have we don't share all the metrics for all of these people, but I mean, our <laughs> our investors absolutely know what our numbers are. Cool. Um, and you know, we'll have some press coming out about where we're at in the next quarter or so. But, but ESPN, so take me there. They've been falling for years, right? They're on the down. They're on the down, and yeah. You're, do you see yourself like almost as a channel? Like the relish mm-hmm. is like ESPN and then you'll have all these TV shows who are more individuals than shows. I mean, I just don't... As like a it, true It depends. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, so yes, we have shows that we're working on right now. So video content is a huge play for us and we're yeah. actively working on our original stuff. Um but yeah, I mean, I think it's just a more a matter of where you distribute that those shows to and how you think about the distribution model and the future of where where do we believe the consumer will be? 
Um, one of the things that I think is awesome about being in San Francisco, uh, and there's actually a few of us new media companies bubbling up around here, right? Like the hustle, the athletic, the information. And we all think very similarly in terms of just how do you, how do you create new media for the future, not just for replicating what's already been done or what's happening today. And so when we're thinking about the future of the relish, we're absolutely thinking about what is the long-term play? Like where, where is the consumer headed yep. and how they want to consume media and how we, we approach that. Totally. I mean, it's, I'm like so fascinated by this because people don't see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the amount of money brands waste on TV is yeah. sickening. Yeah. And the last time this happened was radio to TV, right? Mm-hmm. And a bunch of radio hosts were like, TV's too hard. It's not a big thing. And radio's much bigger and like lost all their jobs. Yeah. And now it's like, it's just attention. And everyone's here staring at their phone. Mm-hmm. And even when they're watching TV, they're not watching their fo- the TV. They're watching their phone. Yeah. And so it's like, it's and you know, the, then the podcasting is coming back. It's crazy. Like 10 years ago, podcasting was a thing. And then it kind of went away. And then the platforms now are so big yeah. that like from podcasting, from video, from live video, from each social. I mean, social networks are the internet. Now, yeah. And the internet's bigger than TV. So I, I don't know. I'm curious on... What are your thoughts on, like, is it about a platform or is it about the content? It's about, I think it's about both. Yeah. I don't think you can have, those aren't mutually exclusive to each other. Like, you have to be thinking about putting really quality content out there and you have to be thinking about the platforms in which each of those things exist and you can't think about them all the same. Like, what you do for a podcast, what you do for a video, what you do for Facebook versus Instagram versus your own site if you're if you've chosen to have a site destination site um those things all have to be different they all have to be specific to that different kind of platform and if you're not thinking about that then in, in thinking about it in that way then there's no way to win w- with the way people consume now yeah so you as a ceo it's first time and first time founding a company with venture with money how do you find inspiration and the confidence to go do this? Like, where, where did it come from? Like, is it go back to your past? Yeah. Who is the one who you go seek or is it internal that be like, I can do this? There, I think, truthfully, it's, it's internal, but it was developed. Like, I had to develop this myself. I didn't have... I've always had like the drive to want to be successful and to want to own my own life and to have like, I've, I've always been a dreamer. There's like, I would say a lot of things that like, I've looked like, what are the qualities of a, someone who should be an entrepreneur? And I'm like, yeah, those things, I could check those boxes. But so it feels really cliche to say this stuff, but like, I feel like divorce had a plan. The divorce of my parents. I mean, I'm, I think, yeah, actually I know it did because at the time as a kid, I like, I, I, didn't like my life as a kid like I didn't Mm. like my childhood I wanted just there was there were there was so much struggle at such a young age and I I remember just thinking like I can't wait this is it's gonna sound kind of sad and don't worry it's all worked out so nobody should feel bad or anything but like I remember just thinking like I want to grow up so I can I can own my own destiny in life and like I can be in charge of me and and just you know where I take my life and from whatever that was right like to the kind of job that I might have or a vacation I might go on or whatever that thing was 
and I would I would just like my mom would put us in the car a lot and we'd just drive around or go places and I just stare out the window listening to music like daydreaming about what that future might look like and I've oh I'm still that way like I'm totally that way I like make vision boards I do all these things right like <laughs> I you know I I am a believer in like this idea of like whatever it is you're dreaming you spend time thinking about it and then you you do right you actively move towards that so I think the confidence component um that was something that I I developed myself like I I just eventually learned like the more belief you have in yourself and the more you you actively work on that the more that plays out um you know I think insecurity and things of that nature are real for everybody yeah. I think it manifests itself differently for every single person I certainly have like have had parts of this process where I've had moments of insecurity or uh, doubted myself or wondered like am I really the person who should be doing this and then I take a minute to pause and reflect I'm like hell yeah I'm the person to be doing this like <laughs> fuck that like of course i can do this what is the emotion you feel when someone says listen you're not katie couric of the mariners that doesn't exist and you shouldn't go that path when i think about that now it, it makes me mad it makes me mad that that was the message i was being told but i you know i i can look back and like understand where that thought process was coming from and that it wasn't like a bad intention um but i also think that's why things like like the women's movements we're seeing today are so important, right? Like we need to be making sure that those aren't the messages we're sending young girls and boys. And like the messages we're sending kids at a young age on, you know, both genders and everything in between the two genders needs to be like, you know, words of encouragement and, and, and giving these kids sort of like, an access point to like whatever it is that they're saying their dreams are like help them kind of see those like the path to that that's another thing too like it I feel like college and all I mean we all college is just so important and, and education learning is, is important learning yeah college like, is perceived right. as the reason yeah no like the educational yeah. component is so important but we, we we just go through this like we just check boxes we don't actually show people the path to the things that they're good at or that that inspire them or that we matter don't even to ask them. them no we really Ever. don't so it's fast i'm teaching a class we tell but we don't ask at, uh, georgetown right now oh you are and we, we've that. been doing it for like four years and it, oh. for first it was teaching entrepreneurship huh. and then after three years two kids out of 450 started anything are you serious entrepreneurship is down across the board no one's actually starting so we were like what we're not serving anyone like we're mm -hmm. not we don't have a purpose here and then I, I had this random idea about a year ago and I was like, oh, I, you know, I wrote a book and I, I remember when I wrote a book, everyone's like, you're not an author. Why, like, why shouldn't you write a book? I remember your book. Right. That and, but cool. and it's the same thing as like being Katie Couric of the Mariners. Yeah. People are like, you're not an author. The same thing when I was in music, when I was in high school, people were like, you're not a musician. Mm. And then eight years later, you're playing a big show and they're like, I wish I was a musician. I'm like, remember when you said I was stupid? <laughs> and, um, but it was, it was, I was looking at these kids and, and these seniors in college at Georgetown top school. And I'm like, they don't want to be entrepreneurs right now. They want to be entrepreneurial minded. They want to work at companies that are entrepreneurial minded. Uh. And so we were like, but they all believe that they can't get the job they want. And I was like, 
what is the highest perceived signal in the world? And I was like, book is high. If you have enough time and resources and you can write an entire book, yeah. write 40,000 words, then like people are like, damn, like that's impressive, yeah. right? So I emailed the guy I teach a class with. Uh, he does it like, I fly out there, but he's like mostly the one who teaches it all. And I was like, we should make them all write books. And we should mm -hmm. ask them what's their purpose and what's their dream. And we asked them who, since their life, their senior in college, they're getting done with school in 21 years, has ever asked you what your dream is. And none of them raised their hand. Huh. So we were like. Well, they did, but people probably asked them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Exactly. But that's so different than what's like your dream. That's not. And they didn't even think about it. Yeah. And so I was like, and none of them have ever written more than 2000 words ever. Right. <laughs> Term papers, whatever. It's just. Yeah. And so last August, I was like, we should do this. And so I told Eric, he's like, this is crazy. We redo the syllabus in three days and 32 students are in the class. Yeah. And he was going to quit teaching because he was like, well, I'm not even making a difference. Like no one's becoming entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurship program is like broken. And we decided to ask them what their purpose is and how we could help them demonstrate it. Hmm. And so the one student was like, I just want to work at Under Armour. And he's like in sports marketing. And so we helped Did he him. get a job? Because I'd love to talk to him. A lot. So <laughs> a lot of them actually are in sports. And what we did is we did this process. We're like, find your purpose, which is almost like finding your company. Yeah. And then interview all the best people in it. If you're going to feature them in a book, it teaches you how to do outreach and how to hustle to get people. Yeah. Like uh, Kevin Rose's wife, uh, who the summer tomato, mm. uh, Dara Rose, I believe. He, like this lady from Georgetown like reached out to her and she's like yeah I'd love to be in your book and then they interview all the people and then they packaged them all up and then I got a publisher to donate like half a million dollars to publish them all oh my gosh and that's last so cool. December 32 out of 32 finished manuscripts that's awesome. over 20,000 words each wow and no one believed they could write it yeah no one believed they could do it and it's this problem now I'm on like a rant but it's like my point is that like the purpose thing no one ever does right and then all of a sudden the student gets a job at Under Armour because he wrote the book on how augmented reality is going to change sports. Oh my God, that's awesome. And it's like... And he's right. Yeah, like if I have glasses on that I can see fake defenders and how I shoot and yeah. I can... It's like I can get better and train or whatever. Like, yeah, he's going to get a job. Then yeah. the other lady, Marin, just wrote a book called The... the, the What's her last name? Cannon. Oh, okay. Just the Glass Cannon. Sky. Oh. And it's how women can uh, oh break God. through the outdoor industry. That's awesome. And all these yeah. things happen. And now I'm seeing their book covers come through. And I'm like, holy shit. Wow. And what we're realizing is that what it's not about the book. What we did is Signal in the past is something that was created in like 1972 or three by like uh, Michael Spence. Signaling theory. It's why people will get careers. And it was all based on you borrow Signal. So you borrow Signal from institutions and companies. That's why you go to Stanford. You right. get a job because of Stanford, not because of yeah. uh, what you learned at Stanford, right? right. You, get a, you get another job because you worked at um, McKinsey because it has high signal. Right. That gives you your next job. And what we realized is that you spend your life borrowing signal. Hmm. That signal you borrowed can go down. If you worked at Enron before Enron crashed, yeah. you got signal and then it died. Yeah. So we're like, signal now is about how do you create for yourself? Yeah. And give yourself purpose. And then how do you demonstrate that signal? Hmm. And all of a sudden we started analyzing these students from their signal score based on purpose and demonstration yeah. before the book 
and after the book. Wow. And all of the students went up. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. And so it gave them the sense of like, I know, like Marin's like, I can't believe in under six months, I feel like my life's changed and I know I'm going to go get a whole new career. Yeah. And this is like, now we're doing it again this semester. And it's like, it's crazy. We need to replicate this A, at younger ages and B, at places where kids don't have that kind of access. Exactly. That's, we that's our next step. We need to create signal like, for people. For everyone, yeah. right? And it's really just about believing in yourself. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. But watching everyone, no one believed that they would write books. And now that they've all written, I literally every day I get a new book cover. Yeah. And I'm just like, holy shit, that's amazing. That's so awesome. But that's for so you cool. to create 100 Katie Couric's. Yeah. Like, that's your opportunity. I mean, that, well, so, yeah, that's part Sorry, of it. Sorry, that was a long-winded there's some, story. But don't like, worry, we've got some strategies in place. But when you said amazing. that, I was like, yeah, 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 we're, that's a part of the plan. Um, but I think it's like, why helping people find what you found in the shower and then the confidence to believe that they're the one to do it yeah is a really fascinating and it wasn't about like it wasn't about get a get a um be like a self-promoting person and be an entrepreneur half of them were like i just want like a one job here with this company because i love that industry yeah and i think that's the problem like seven years ago people were like personal branding yeah. The problem with personal branding is it's about the personal branding. It's that for yeah. that sake. And it's just bullshit. I know some CEOs who literally just, that is all they do. They just work yeah. on their, I'm like, when are you going to talk about your company? Like, exactly. And I'm like, well, but like personal brand matters to a point. Like if you don't, like you should be paying attention to what you're putting out there to yeah. a degree. But like th what the brand I'm building is the relish. Like yeah. my personal brand is, is whatever it is. But like, that's not the thing I'm focused on. Like the relish is the thing that yeah. matters the most. But like the reason personal branding is complete horseshit is because it's for people do it for the personal brand. Right. But there's no depth. Exactly. And so what we really found is that you have to go deep. Yeah. And the deeper you go to be able to write a book, you have to go deep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the catalyst of the book is fascinating, but there's a lot of different ways to do that. And yeah. I think, I don't know, no one's at, no one ever like just sat these kids down and asked them what they dreamed of doing. Yeah. That's awesome. And then now they're all like completely changed their entire outlook on what they're going to do in their life. And to be really like the parents now believe more than they do because they didn't believe they, they would ever write a book. Yeah. And it's a kind of a crazy story. That's Anyways, amazing. long story. Yeah. Yeah. No, Back I think that's great. It's just like, yeah, I want, but let's replicate that for kids. Like I'm, I'm such a believer that there's so many things that could be fixed or made better or just, changed if we started doing this stuff earlier yeah why do people tell this? people no when it's about a career of something they don't understand i think it's this protect like my father was like don't be a musician you know he's like you gotta go it is protected because they don't this want the they don't want to see you fail yeah. like they don't want to and they don't want to see like they can see all the, the the stumbling blocks and walls and potential barriers to entry and they like it's a parent's natural instinct to protect right and so like their intention is probably not to be like you can't do that or make you feel bad but like ultimately that's really damaging like it because it, yeah. the things that you you're the people that love you most are telling you are like the thing you listen to right like parents have so much power and what do your friends and family say to you now oh there's i mean they're so proud which is like <laughs> awesome i mean yeah it's great yeah they, I mean, listen, don't, I'm making it sound like my family has never been supportive. No, no, no. They've I, over, they've yeah. been overwhelming supportive of me my whole, like my whole life. There's, 
except for this like one person that said this thing that stuck with me, right? Because it was the thing that mattered to me most at the time. Mm. The other, there was another thing I like, I used to, I also taught myself HTML code when I was like 12 <laughs> and I so regret That's amazing. not doing anything with that. Like it's no, it was no, it was no, it was like not anyone's fault or anything, but I wish that somebody had been like, Ashley, this can be really valuable for you someday. <laughs> and I, you know, I never ended up actually doing anything with that later, but I wish that I had stuck with that too. Like, imagine if I could have been like an engineer and a Katie Kirk of the Mariners, like combined <laughs> into one. I can really do some crazy stuff. <laughs> do you? Be, do, well, I mean, or you would have not played to your strengths and be where you're at. You never know. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. I'm happy with the way things are turning out now. So, I think that uh, I would. I was lucky to have, you know some resources in place to kind of help guide me in the right direction for sure. So what's your dream for this? My dream is that we, I hope that we get to a place where we don't have to call this for female fans Yeah. where a female fan is just considered equal to any, any other male fan, which is just not the way that it is right now. My dream is that when a, when a, somebody says, female fan they think the relish and vice versa they they know that this is a, a brand that is for this hugely underserved market but eventually we're the brand that has allowed there to be an equal playing field feels no, like it's no much, pun intended <laughs> it feels like it's much bigger than sports it is this is about a movement this is not just about creating you know a media company yeah. like that's a media company is what we are today this is the future of what we're trying to build is so much more than that. Did you participate in all the women's marches and stuff? Well, I participated in the San Francisco march. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's not. <laughs> it's hard, it's march. hard to be in all of the marches at one time. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was at the San Francisco one. And what do you feel in the movement happening right now? I mean, I think there's a lot. There's it's a very you're kind of tied it in a way like it all underlies like your mission, right? Yeah. I mean, the timing for this is interesting, right? It's, it's kind of perfect. Honestly, like, the fact that we're kind of having this, there's this term called fourth wave of feminism, like this next mm. wave of, of what feminism looks like. And and um, I think that the, the timing to be talking about something that is for women is really important. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the Women's March, it it matters. It's so important. Like so, there's, there's power in solidarity. There's power in a lot of, people coming together to rally around an idea. It's also forcing us to like think about all the other parts of this, right? Like there's there was there's some controversy that exists inside of the marches and inside of like, you know, like there was a lot of talk about how taking the day off yesterday for women's international or international women's day is actually kind of a privilege if you if you can do that and know that you're gonna come to a job the next day, right? So like there's a lot of layers to all of this and um you know, it's something that you just have to be really mindful of all the different components to yeah. what this is. What are, what were the first three, the first three pillars of feminism? Like if it's the fourth wave, oh, you don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what they're calling it. They're like, yeah, fourth wave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. I, have you, did you see the movie hidden figures? I haven't seen it. Oh my God. I, I do. That. You want to know why I haven't seen it? Why? We got, I have this really bad problem. This is a very weird flaw. When I buy tickets on like Fandango or I, we go to Alamo Draft House a lot, um, for some reason when I buy tickets online, I always buy them for the wrong day. 
I don't know what it is about me. I've done this four or five times. Like Star, Star Wars. Investors. She doesn't do this with money. I no, I don't. It's <laughs> Eric said. He's like, this is some, this, this like one weird flaw that I found. So you bought tickets to Hidden Figures that and then you were the wrong day. Oh yeah. Hidden Figures, Star Wars, a couple others. Like, yeah. So we didn't, we, I got it for the wrong day. This was at Kabuki and I was like, listen, here's what I did. They're like, well, we can get you tickets to this other movie. So that's why I didn't see Hidden Figures. Because it was sold out? I think the timing was just completely wrong. I, it was Kabuki and I think that day it was on a different time. I huh. can't remember. Or it already started or something. You need to go see it. I've heard it's amazing. It's amazing. Been and a it's, little busy. It's about, yeah, <laughs> for sure. You got to find inspiration. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's just about the three women who helped really get the whole space program to oh yeah the moon. no I, mean, I know what it's about but I had, cool. I've heard it's incredible I love that stuff I love like anything that just makes you feel good about what uh, you know makes you feel good about what what's been done before us and inspires you to sort of kind of leave leave a legacy like that and I love that so a lot of I think the tech industry in general a lot of things around diversity around you know. The sexual harassment lately yeah. all the stuff at uber there's a lot of things happening all over the place as a female ceo to help us non-female ceos <laughs> like what are your what are your recommendations how do we be better how do we care more how do we make it happen without always having to address that it's happening right like a lot of friends of mine who are really you know the like feminist leaders are like don't acknowledge it as like a woman in general it's just like it's just a leader yeah know? and so I, how how can you how can or what would you say to help us all i think i mean it's it's a good question because it's not there isn't just one simple answer to it it's got a lot of complexity um but i think some ways to start is you know one of the things that i see happen a lot is like oh we just need to check that box or we need to yeah. we need to hit a metric uh, and everyone gets really excited about their, their metrics and like those things do matter, right? Like you, you, you do want to see those numbers increase and like being able to show that those, that increase is happening is how you prove that there's change. But, um, I think it has to go further back than that. Like you have to, we have to really be looking at things like unconscious bias and, and like privilege and what does privilege mean? And like, what is your, what is unconscious bias and I mean I know what it is but like explain it in this scenario like uh, you you make a decision like there's an example of I'll give the example of like the resume uh, when you see a name on a resume there's an automatic moment of bias that happens just from the kind of name that you see there I think there's been a study even about like uh, I, I can't remember all the details of the study but uh, you can see a certain like a man's name and up against like a woman's name or somebody that might maybe is of a different culture and you will there's an automatic bias there like there's this percentage of of resumes that end up being chosen if it's the the man's name right like it's like huh did you see this today so that, look at the screen this uh this is on twitter this guy and this female so martin and nikki for a week for two weeks, they switched names. I signed all client emails as Nicole, and she signed as me. Oh, my gosh. And it says, folks, folks, it fucking sucked. That's awesome. And so Did this, he say why it sucked? 
So it's it's uh, Schneider remarks on Twitter. I mean, he has an entire thread of like, you know, here's the fucked up thing for me. This was shocking for her. She was used to it. She just figured it was part of her job. Um, wow. You know, it's Everyone it's crazy. Nicole had the most productive week of her career. I realized the reason she took longer is because she had to convince clients to respect her. Mm-hmm. That's insane. That happens. That's yeah, real. That's every day. super real. Oh, every day, all day, like multiple times a day, this stuff it happens. Do I do it and not know it? Probably. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm trying to be like so self-aware of it. Like, but then I'm like, I don't want anyone to feel bad because it's like I have to try. And so it's like, then I feel like because I'm trying, it's like, well, just stop trying. You should already do this. I'm like, fuck, I have this like insecure battle with myself. Have, like, have you seen the SNL skit of male feminists no. going awry? No. It's good. <laughs> There's probably a When is it? What is YouTube. it? SNL? It's uh, an SNL skit about uh, like, I think it's maybe it's called like wild feminist or something. It's about male feminists who kind of use their feminism basically to take advantage of women. And this is a huge problem too. Like now we're Explain seeing- Explain that, go. So the, this idea of like men who are like, yeah, I'm pro woman. And then they use that just to kind of get in with women or like get a date or get laid or whatever the thing is. And then when they don't, when a woman is like, no, thank you. He's like, bitch, like this is in the skit. Like, huh. and then it's this whole idea that like, oh, a, a man is a feminist until it doesn't serve him in a positive, in some other way. Like if it doesn't, if it doesn't, I guess it's this whole idea like, if the man doesn't benefit from it personally, then it, he's not actually interested in being a feminist. It was oh, just shit. a great, a great article. So like, that's the other thing. It's like, why well, we see a lot of this too, like men wanting to attach themselves to feminism because it makes them look better or it, it's better for their brand or it's better for them, you know, in the dating scene or whatever. Mm. Uh, this that's is, our, that's this actually, is another like problem that yeah. that's now in front of us, which and well, that's hard. I mean, so on our side, and you know, on the guy's side, it's like, how do I not be perceived as taking advantage of it? Because I mean, I made a stance with our company. I said I want to be fifty fifty by fifty, which is fifty percent diverse on all levels by fifty people, and just mostly, do it. Just do that's what that. we're doing. I mean, like, we're doing it. Don't right? talk about it. Just do it. That's all we're doing. Yeah. And that's then it's great. like you're only doing that now because you know it attracts people, and I'm like. Someone actually said that to me And I'm like No I'm doing it Because one I believe diversity of thought Is important Why and do you think You weren't doing it before though Why do you think Now you're doing it I didn't it see I didn't I didn't even I didn't even see the problem Like I didn't think it Why, I, do, you no think one told you, why me. do you think You didn't see the problem Um I mean well If I think of If I think of Zarly right mm-hmm. I think it was about Half and half There were a lot of It was like a lot of women Actually it was very much um, But all the founders Were white men Yeah Right um, and so I don't, I actually just think I didn't slow down to even make myself care about it. And I was just like ideas and tech and blah, blah, blah. I was yeah. like, I didn't, and you know, I didn't, it wasn't my company to be fair. Yeah. Like, so I wasn't like, I get to choose. Um, and do you no. think maybe it like they're just, I mean, maybe you just said this, but like you just weren't aware, like yeah. until somebody Catherine, like what's, what's, Catherine Spence and Sashka Rothschild. They're two of my really good friends and they are really, really like mentors to me. They came to the Ask Dinner, major feminist movement and always telling me, Catherine on her birthday, I messaged her and I said, happy birthday. And she goes, hire women. That's all she <laughs> said to me. I swear to God. And we just, Laura actually joined on Monday. We have another person joining next month and like, 
yeah, like we're just doing it. But I just, I'm doing it because I, one, I think it's a good thing to do for everything. I think having women in leadership and different, like, I don't want everyone to think like me. Yeah. <laughs> like, actually, um, and there's a bigger thing here, which is that if AI becomes real, how AI thinks is actually more important than anything. Yeah. There's a huge study on this where, um, I was actually just reading it, it was fascinating, where um, machine learning engineers analyzed all of the army, um, people in the army. Mm-hmm. And then they started doing like, what does the person look like? So what does a general look like? What mm. does a criminal look like? Interesting. And when you search generals, it brings back all white men. And when you search criminals, it brings back all black men. And because it was trained by all white dudes. Oh, man. And so when you get so into like So even our AI, bots have all this yeah, crap that no, we have to deal with now? Like we, we oh, I, no, man. <laughs> how, how things learn is actually another reason why diversity of thought when we're programming the, the training. I mean, it's like any training in life. Yeah. Right? If you're training another human, you start thinking like the person that taught you. Yeah. Social influence is real. No, it's, so it's like, it's absolutely true. That's, that's, a, that's a whole different like reason where it's actually more important than ever. Well, and you know, we're talking about this just from like being here in, in America. Like, I wonder yeah. if that would change. We, Eric and I were just talking about this at dinner last night. Like, what if, how, you know, like, what would that be? What, what would a bot be like in another country where, totally. you know, there's a totally different uh, thought there or, or, bias or whatever you know the things are like it it changes culturally too which is really really interesting when you think about bots because if bots are like you know we think of them in this sort of like linear way but really like if ai does the thing that we're you know you're trying hoping that it will do and a lot of us hope will be the future it'll be interesting to see how that evolution of bot exists similar to evolution of humans and (laughs) <laughs> the way we think and right. I don't know it's just so fascinating will there be oh a man re- I could go down this rabbit hole for a long time will there be time. a religion for bots I mean there's so much money in religion probably <laughs> I'm sure certain yeah. bots talk to other bots because they've learned on what they think matters to make the world better <laughs> yeah I mean the world of robots and humans is going to be really interesting it's going to so. be so interesting I are you a robots kill everyone type person or are you like uh, the humans and robots figure no, out how to work together I think we figure out how to work together I think that I could imagine a world and when we're like humans kind of just become sort of valueless huh. and bots have all the value, <laughs> but did you see Bill like Gates kind proposal? Of, kind of sounds relaxing, honestly, just hang out on. A That's beach. an interesting <laughs> concept. People are talking about now is do you get into, uh, you know, if bots do take all the work, then is it a better world? Actually, if you I, have the no, I don't know. Here. Here's the thing though. Like per, people need like pe- people, most people, need purpose yeah for sure and that's the thing that i think is dangerous when people don't have purpose that creates an interesting problem but if you look at it from america and developed countries the sense that work is purpose is very new yeah hundreds less than hundreds of years but that's going to take so much evolution so there's i feel like there's going to be a a really corrupt time when there's bots and humans and like we're like what we're gonna just like think about what defines purpose it's changed forever yeah like Purpose that is your career, very new. Purpose of yeah. survival and helping everyone in your community, like eat. Yeah, that was like that was not that long ago. No, it's true. That's um, so true. And so then it's like, what redefines what purpose means? Yeah, is it you did to be creative? And actually, the musicians and the artists are the ones whose parents are like who are on top. No, grow totally. up and be a great. I hope so. Play guitar, That'd right? Be such a better world. <laughs> oh man. 
uh, right now it's like the risky thing, but in the future, if the, you know, the job that can be replaced, if you don't use your creative mind is true, yeah. then it's like, don't do that. Dad's like, don't go into labor. Don't go into the labor marketplace yeah. and Caterpillar lines. And right. he's like, there's no jobs there. Yeah. <laughs> like what happens? I don't know. It's going to be really fast. It's going to be really, really interesting. I, I, we nerd out on this all the time at home. Talk um, about this a lot. I, I want to wrap up here and I want you, you're, you're an inspiring. And I think a lot of, especially like younger females could benefit from your words of like, if you had to tell, you know, people say this all the time, but like yourself 10 years ago, something that wasn't, you're not going to be the Katie Couric of sports. What would you tell yourself? Bullshit. Like, <laughs> or actually, I mean, I probably wouldn't say bullshit cause it's not bullshit, but I no, would no, no, no. What would you tell yourself if it was you now? Not that person. What would, oh, what, what would, what I would you tell? What would I tell my 10 year old self? Yeah. Or anyone listening who is, you know, wants to be that or doesn't really know how, or, you know, how do you give them the confidence that you have to be able to go out and do this? The advice that I would give someone is whatever it is you're thinking about. If you keep thinking about it, if that thought never goes away, then just keep pursuing it. Talk to people. Don't be afraid to ask for a sit down with somebody. Don't be afraid to, to reach out and, and ask somebody how they ended up where they are. I think that the, the biggest thing for me was not that I like was obsessed with this idea of becoming the Katie Kirk of the Mariners forever. Like that didn't stick with me forever. It just evolved into something else. But that like that innate, there was an innate thing there that, that always existed. Um, and the thing that gave me the, the confidence to kind of go and pursue whatever the ver this version of it, the relish, and even just working in sports early on was my willingness to sort of open my own doors and talk to people and meet people. And you, we talk about it and again, it's cliche, but like you really have to believe in yourself. Like if, even if nobody else does, you have to do that. Like the one person you can control is you. So, so do that. You know why it matters more than anything? Hmm. It's because in three years, you're going to see someone you went to high school with and you're spending every day of your life on the relish and you think that the world knows about it and then they're going to go, what have you been up to? And you'd be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, that's what happens and it's like, if you don't believe in yourself, like no one else, no one else is going to do it for you. Oh no, not at all. You know, you, it's interesting. I have a seven-year-old sister and a 16-year-old sister and it's, I, huh, that's amazing. It's really, yeah. I mean, my, they're half siblings, but they are very close to me just like any other sibling would be. And, um, it's really neat to see them, like to see the amount of confidence that they have and the strength that they have. Like Brian is seven. Sorry. I know we're rapping, but oh, Brian's seven. I, I think just, this is so important. Like giving anyone confidence. What I, I was like, what, what, what do these students coming out of Stanford have that other people don't? They have delusional confidence because their teachers are people that have really came from built. Well, they have a lot things. of other things too, but yes, a lot of privilege, that too, yeah. but they, I mean, that comes with confidence. They're like, yeah, they have this confidence that is like, holy shit. I didn't have any of that. My, yeah. my college is like the better business bureau of Macomb is my <laughs> teacher. And she's like, life's kind of shitty. You know? I mean, it's a good college, but it's yeah, like, yeah. it's just a different like optimism and yeah. confidence. And I just never, and I, so I think it's so important to like 
how do we give kids more confidence? It's, I mean, one of the things I, sorry, I, back to your sister. Yeah. I, I would tell my little sisters from like very early ages was, you know, believe, like believe in yourself, you know, don't be kind to people, be honest with people, believe in yourself, whatever it is that you care about, like follow that, but don't compromise who you are and don't compromise yourself when it could be very easy to compromise yourself. And there'd be examples of that. Right. And even just like, I see all the time, these examples of, of both girls doing that in their life at a young age, like Brian, seven and 14, she's seven and 16. Brian, I was just home this weekend. She has been bullied at school. We just found out this kid like threatened to kill her and was just a horrible little kid. And I, I was talking to her about it and I'm like, Brian, um, you know, how long is this going on? She's talking about that. I'm like, what, why do you think he's doing this? And I was like, is he doing it to other people? She was like, yeah, he does it to everybody, but he does it the worst to me. And I was like, why? And she's like, cause I'm the only one that stands up for myself and I'm the only one that stands up for anybody else around me. I was like, how does that make you feel? And she's like, she's like, well, it doesn't make me feel good when he does that, but she's like, I'm not going to stop standing up for myself. And I mean, I was just like, she's seven, you know? And then the next day she had like, we had just watched that Disney movie sing and she's like a little bit of a performer. Like she always kind of has been since she's a very, even younger. Um, and she, I came upstairs to her bedroom and she was sitting at her desk and she was writing something down and she kind of hid it. And then we went to bed and the next morning I was sitting down at her desk and she had written this letter to herself that was like, believe in your dreams you've always wanted to be on stage go for it like and she's she's very smart and she's can she has like great grammar like for a little seven-year-old but like I could I have a picture of it right like she wrote her let this letter to herself and I was like this is such a valuable life skill that she's just like doing for herself Hmm. that will that will carry with her forever like those little things those little tools are so useful um and, you know, having these little sisters, I think I try to instill a little bit of those things that I've learned along the way into them earlier on so that they can have those those pieces in their toolkit. What is the, what does your 16 year old sister say that she wants to be? Uh, I ask her about it. She's she kind of shifts around like she she's talked about being a lawyer before. Um, I'm try- I feel Talk her out of it. Oh, yeah. Save the day. But, um. She she doesn't know. She's not sure, but she she has like a like for example, like she makes choices already for herself that are good for her. Like she was playing volleyball, she's been in like select volleyball and doing all these athletic sports and she had a bad experience with it. Like the coaches uh she stood up for herself with her coaches and then her coaches didn't like that and so they stopped playing her and she was like, "Well, this sucks." So she was like, you know what? I'm not going to put up with that. Like, I'm going to go do a different sport. So she's like <laughs> trying out for cheerleading now. And I'm like, good for you. She never she never talked badly about people. She never, you know, she didn't quit the team during the season. She waited till the end of the season was over. Like, you know, she just carries herself with a certain level of integrity and um, but also confidence. And she didn't let the fact that like I'm sticking up for myself and then that backfired on me just disrupt her ability to continue yeah. to move forward. And Brian, I'm seeing the same thing. And I mean, like, to be honest, I guess that those are skills that I've discovered are really valuable. Like, God, when life knocks you down, you just, it can knock you down super hard and you just have to kind of like get up and keep going and you find out you're even stronger than the last time. 
Amazing. Yeah, it's really well, fun. Thank you for coming by. Thanks for having me. From someone who's been, you know, a friend for a long time, I'm really proud, excited, and, you know, I think you'll you'll do great. Thank you. Well, likewise, it's been so inspiring to watch you, and you've, you've taught me a lot and been, <laughs> a, you know, just a great person to be able to lean on when I've needed to. So thanks for being you. No, thank you. All right. <laughs>